0: to uh, John and chapter 17, John chapter 17, and uh, we're really drawing fairly close to the end of this chapter, Um, let's read from uh, verse 20 as we continue in uh, a series of messages in the upper room discourse the Lord's upper room discourse Um, verse 20 is right in the heart of the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ we have said before remember that the first five verses he prays for himself Uh, the second section from verse 6 to verse 9 where we are beginning to, rather 19, we we begin to read from, he is uh, praying for the apostles who were with him on earth, the ones he was teaching regularly. And then from verse 20 downwards, he's now praying for the church universal. He's praying for all those who would believe in him. He's praying for all the elect of God. And that includes you. So even as we read these words, remember the Lord Jesus Christ now is praying for you. John 17 and verse 20. I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because and I in them. Well, as we've been looking at these words and slowly drawing to the end of uh, this high priestly prayer of our Lord, uh, we, we have, first of all, just paused to drink in the thought that Jesus prays for me. And as I have said to you before, I draw encouragement And I'm sure you do as well, when someone says, I am praying for you. Uh, Sometimes it's, it's, it's almost embarrassing because you can't repeat the same words to the person who has said that to you. I wish everyone that says that to me, I could say, yes, I'm doing the same also. But you still draw encouragement. When someone says that to you, I am praying for you. And that's what Jesus has done here. He is praying for us and continues to intercede for us day and night, even now as he is in heaven. We took time to notice that there are primarily two requests that Jesus is praying for. The first is the unity of the believers, us collectively. And that's what he says there in uh, verse 21. Indeed, all the way down to verse 23. We've already read those words, that they may all be one, he says there in verse 21. Even at the bottom of verse 22, that they may be one, Even as we are one, again in verse 23, in the middle, that they may become perfectly one. So over and over again, Jesus is praying for Christian unity. We've been very clear that this is not organizational unity primarily, although it works out that way in due season it is first organic unity it is something that the lord himself does in us so that we become united to god us in god god in us that unity and then the life of god flowing through us the glory that is given to us we spoke about that last time that causes us to see something, to sense something in one another that brings us together. It binds us. We we sense a commonality there that is otherwise impossible elsewhere. A commonality of love, a commonality of purpose, and so on. That is very, very real. Well, today we move on to see Jesus' second prayer request his second prayer request and uh, it is simply that we the elect may reach heaven we the elect of God may reach heaven hence the title of my sermon Jesus prays for the elect to reach heaven we see this in verse 24 Father I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. That's a second request. It's simply a desire that he speaks. It's, it's a request, but... It's Given in terms of uh, a desire, it's it's an an indirect request that is being uh, given there. Father, I desire uh, that they also whom you have given me may be where I am. Now, where there is a love relationship, often someone doesn't even need to ask; they just say what it is they are longing for. So if your spouse says something like, uh, you know really, uh, I I desire to to have pizza tonight, you don't even have to wait for them to say, so can you go and buy it for me? The fact that they've said that's what they desire this evening, pizza. You're already beginning to think, okay, so where can I get the money and uh, you know, where can I get the best kind of pizza in town and so on and so forth it's a soft request and that's what our Lord is doing here he is asking he is praying in a, in, in a, in a way that is suggestive Father, you love me I love you there's a very real relationship between the two of us there's a longing in my soul and what is that longing? And that's what we go on to hear here. First of all, it is for the elect of God that they might be where Jesus is. He uses the phrase that those that they also whom you have given me. Those whom you have given me. Now that's a phrase that is going all the way back to verse 2. In chapter 17 and verse 2, Jesus put it this way. I begin with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since You have given him authority over all flesh and then to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So whereas Jesus is in control of the entire universe, he does not give eternal life to anybody in the entire universe. He gives eternal life only to those whom the Father has given to him. And we refer to them as the elect of God. It goes on to show that there is this profound unity, not only between Christ and the Father, but also between Christ and those whom the Father has given to him. That even as he was going to the cross to go and die, he wasn't dying for empty seats in heaven so that the the clever ones, before they die, would quickly jump onto those seats before the seats get filled up. No. He had you in mind. He, He loved you and gave himself for you. I say that again, he loved you and gave himself for you. Part of it was this same longing that you, that the Father gave to him, may be with him in glory. There is a genuine attachment there is a genuine longing. The moment the Father in eternity, as we shall see in a moment, gave them or gave us to the Father, to the Son, the Son loved us. The Son loved us. And so even as He came on earth, He was moved by that same love. And now here he is speaking about the longing that he has for those who have been given to him by the Father, those who are the elect. And what is it that he is longing for? Well, here it is. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. There are actually two requests in those words, but they are intricately connected. First of all, that they may be where I am. That's the first, that they may be where I am. And secondly, that they may see my glory that you gave me before the beginning of time, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. First of all, that they might be with me. This is a fairly awkward way of speaking when Jesus is still on earth. They're actually with him right there. Uh, If we assume that this prayer is the equivalent to... Uh, something of the Gethsemane prayer there are still at least three of them who are only a stone's throw away from him if it's a separate prayer because they've already left the upper room by now uh, if it's a separate prayer it's still that they are with him they are still with him so I have explained this before a number of times let me explain it again and I have said the, the, the high priestly prayer of our Lord, although it was made before Calvary, it actually fits better after Jesus Christ has already died. In fact, it fits better when he's already in heaven. So this is a kind of, uh, if I could use the phrase, a trial run. This is Jesus wanting his disciples to have a peep into the heart of what is taking place as he is interceding for us before the Father in heaven. That's really what we have here. So every often, he would say in this prayer, I have finished the work you gave me to do. And you say, hang on, Calvary is still in front of you. How have you finished the work? Again, it's because in the mind of Christ, this is simply a kind of prayer of the kind of prayer that he really makes when he is in heaven. He, in heaven, he is basically praying for us based on the fact that he has lived and he has died for our sins. So if this is confusing you a little bit, understand it that way. He is praying to the Father as the eternal Son of God. And in his own mind, he has already gone through Calvary. He has already gone through the resurrection. He has already gone through the ascension. He is literally at the right hand of the Father. And he is saying... That they may be with me, where I am. Now that desire again is a desire of love. That's what it is. It's a desire of love. A person who is in love wants to be with the person they love. That's just the way it is. They speak in terms of "I am missing you." Those are that's the language that they use, I am missing you. It's, it's what God has put as an ingredient into this thing that Ephes cannot understand because it's not simply chemistry. It is in a relationship in the soul of man. It's not simply chemistry. It's in the soul of uh, human beings where there is love. In fact, we often use the phrase absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. So if you can imagine Jesus has already arrived in heaven. He is seated on his throne, the throne of glory. He's enjoying that place and he is saying to the Father, I'm not yet happy. I'm not yet satisfied. I will only be satisfied when those whom I have set my affections upon are with me. That's when I will truly be satisfied. So again, it's an act of love when he speaks this way. But again, That's only one side. The other is that they may see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. First of all, just this aspect of that they might see my glory. It's a restored glory. Let's go to the beginning of the prayer again. But this time, verse 5. Verse Uh, 5. I'll begin with verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So it's a restored Glory. It's a glory that, in terms of the Son of God, the the Word, He had had this glory for all eternity past. But now, having added the human nature to His person. The human nature is yet to experience that glory. And therefore, in that sense, he is saying, You have now given me this glory, assuming he's now arrived in heaven. And then he is saying, I want those whom you have given me to see this, to see this glory that I have. Now, in a sense, the disciples had already seen this glory. They had. Let's, let's go to the first chapter of this same book. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14. John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Bible says there, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John is saying here that even when he was already on earth, we, we could see that this was no ordinary man. We could see that there was divinity in, in him. We can see, we could see that we are dealing here with God in human flesh. We beheld his glory. How? How do you see glory in a baby that is born to a carpenter and his wife? Lowly people. How do you see glory in one who is uh, in a cow shed, uh, being laid down in a a feeding trough of a cow? How do you see glory in him? How do you see glory in one who has to run for his life and go and hide in Egypt uh, for fear that he might be killed? How do you see his glory? How do you see glory in one who uh, walks with you around the Middle East, around Galilee? How do you see glory in one who, when you reach your destination, he has to have his feet washed, just as you also have to have your feet washed? How do you see glory in somebody who is beaten up, beaten up, beaten up to a pulp, and finally crucified. How do you see his glory? Well, I think first of all, they saw his glory in the miracles he did. The miracles he did. Uh, The miracles Jesus did were an outflow of his, who he was. There was no um, acrobatic activities where somebody is uh, really praying and going from one end to the other and so on and, and finally hoping something is going to happen. No. I look very quickly at chapter 4. John 4. Sorry, chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 14. Well, obviously, it's verse 11, sorry, verse 11. I want to go a little further back. I want to go back to... um, Yeah, verse 7, verse 7. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said, Listen to this. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast, what we call master of ceremonies these days, tasted the water, now become wine. And did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone saves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. And then verse 11 that I was looking for. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. He didn't pray. He didn't touch this thing and uh, sort of start shaking for quite some time. And then finally say, okay, you know, take the water and see what happens. He just said, uh, okay, fill, fill these things up. They filled them up. And he said, okay, take a cup and go and give it. And it had turned into the best wine. It was things like that That made them realize He can't be an ordinary man I mean, somebody who says to you You've got thousands of people gathered Thousands And he says, okay, bring uh, the, the two loaves of bread and fish And he just gives thanks Thank you for giving us this food today Amen and he gives it back to you and says, okay, distribute. Effortlessly. You distribute and distribute and distribute and distribute and distribute and dis- And it's just coming out and coming out and coming out. Obviously you begin to realize, who else are we dealing with? This cannot be an ordinary person. somebody who puts you in a boat and says okay, go ahead I'll, I'll catch up with you and then off you go on a boat and then while you are struggling with the wind in your boat and everything else he, he just comes walking <laughs> just walking on water effortlessly he's not even trying to, to say to you look at what I can do look at what I can do no it just comes the way you, you, you walk to a car i don't open the door to, to, to come in it, 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 obviously it blows your mind who can do a, do a thing like that or when you are in a boat and the boat is really be almost capsizing or being filled with water because of a storm all he does is he says to, to the wind shut up that's it It shuts up. I mean, surely... It won't be long before you start whispering to one another. Guys, this is not one of us. It's not one of us. He is special. He is unique. And that's what they're saying here. We we, we saw his glory. In fact, on one occasion... He took a few of them up to pray on a mountain. And as he was there, he suddenly changed. Changed. And began to glow like the sun. Began to glow like the sun. And obviously, they began to realize there is something Glorious about this being. And then, as they found out, Moses showed up, Elijah showed up, they spoke among themselves, and, and from there he was back to normal and began to read to them, saying, Don't tell anybody about what you just said. They beheld his glory. But what Jesus is praying about here. It is something much more than that. It is His glory in its unveiled splendor. It is His glory as He is seated on the throne. No doubt His own appearance is now shining like the sun in its full noonday strength. You know, glory is much more than that. Glory is even the, the ambience that is around him. When, when, when you enter into his office, and then you see that the number of attendants that are around him, the the, the aesthetics that surround his seat, he is on the throne of the entire universe. A, a rainbow sacred throne. Surrounded by thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand angels in holy adoration. You, you you look at that and you say, What we saw is nothing, nothing. What a glorious. But this is not just to show off. This is to say, this is our bridegroom. This is the new station we have been invited into. This is our home. This is the final victory. This is where we belong. I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. That's true love. That's true love from our Savior. It's what children's Stories, bedtime stories are made of when the knight first of all hides who he really is. The prince, perhaps let that word, hides who he really is and comes appearing as though he's just one of us, one of us. And in the process wins the the heart of this damsel. And and she loves him for who he is from what she's seeing, yes there's something about him that has won her heart He's, he's distinguished himself maybe he has fought one or two battles in order to rescue her from these villains but finally as he takes her on his horse to where he really comes from and he arrives there she sees him taking off those clothes that he was wearing and putting on his royal robes. And even in putting them on, it is a number of well-dressed workers around the palace, the assistants who do that. And he climbs the staircase. And he sits on that throne and all of these bow down to him. And she realizes, I am actually married to the heir apparent of the throne. What a change it does in her. What a change. And that's what Jesse is saying. I want those whom you've given me to come to arrive there to participate in this to realize how blessed they are how truly blessed they are that they belong to me me who is such a glorious one who's been given this glory this restored glory now Jesus here ends at least this prayer request by putting it this way. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The statement before the foundation of the world is, is a common one in the Bible. You come across it a number of times and basically It's one that takes you to Genesis 1 verse 1 and speaks about the period before Genesis 1 verse 1. It speaks about that eternity before there were any created creatures, before angels came into existence, when there was just God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is referring to that time, if we can speak of it in terms of time, when God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit planned creation. When God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spoke in terms of how providence was going to work itself out, including the fall It was at that time before creation when God entered into covenant within himself, the Father and the Son, to redeem fallen humanity through the cross, through the excruciatingly painful death of the Son. It is at that time before creation when the Father took a people and gave them to the Son and said, for this you must die. It was at that time before creation when the Son set His love upon us. If we are believers, set His love upon us and said yes. At the right time in history, read upon time, set upon time, I will go and purchase them with my own blood. This phrase, before the foundation of the world. You come across it times without number in the Bible. And it's always speaking about before that time. In our text on this occasion, the, the main idea there is that God the Father loved the Son. Which wouldn't surprise us. Because the, the very idea of love can only be well understood when you bring God into the picture. And he's saying here, because You loved me. This is the purest love. The Bible speaks of God as God is love. Love is not God, but God is love. It's it's the purest form of love. But here, we're also speaking about it is of an infinite measure. An infinite measure. You cannot think about God without thinking of Him immersed into this love. The Father loves the Son. Yes, the Son loves the Father as well. But the Son right now is meditating on this. That I enjoyed glory before creation came. And part of it was because the fa- of the Father's love. And I'm going to enjoy glory after this life exactly for the same reason. Because that love of the Father for the Son has never diminished. Never. Whatever I can think about in terms of love, put it to the infinite degree. That's how the father loved the son before the foundation of the world. Now, two things there. First of all, this is what makes Calvary mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. That the father should take his darling the darling of God the darling of heaven and have him crucified for rebels for rebels that obviously says he loves us too he loves us too It, it's, it's what the Bible refers to as agape, a love in spite of, a love that is determined in the will. It is not a marital love alone, which is normally referred to in Greek as eros. It is not a brotherly love, which in Greek is referred to as adelphos, this is agape that is given to us. Agape. And Jesus has spoken about it in verse twenty-seven, 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Listen to this. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Now that's incredible. That's incredible. I've used the illustration before of uh, you imagining yourself that you were a a railroad worker. The person who changes gears so that the the bridge, the trow bridge, can close, and then a, rail, a, a train passes through. Otherwise it will plunge into uh, a river uh, or wherever that open space is. And you take your son, your only son whom you love, to borrow the words of God to Isaac, I mean to Abraham about Isaac, and you take him to work that day. And as you are working, you fall asleep. When you wake up, what makes you wake up is the train is coming. And as it is coming, you know exactly what you ought to do. Change gears. And then you realize your son is not with you. Your little toddler has crawled away and has crawled to that position under the bridge that if you close it, you squeeze your little child to death. If you run to try and save your child, it will be too late. The train will plunge into the river. And then you are told that actually it's rebels who are in that train. That it's uh, the Al-Shabaab uh, Al Qaeda. Uh, I was going to throw in Vladimir Putin, but I won't. <laughs> Let's use someone who has already died. Hitler. Okay, throw him in. And so forth. You know, all the bad guys. Obviously, you go and rescue your son. Obviously. But what God did is he loved those same rebels and sinners and he closed that gate and heard his own son cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken The same one that he loved infinitely, infinitely. Why? Well, because this God had also now set his affections on you and me, the elect. It blows our minds to think that God can love me like that. But that's exactly what he has done. That the love wherewith he loved the Son is the same love that He has now placed on us. And friends, in our most darkest times, when we are going through the most difficult situations in life, when, when we are beginning to doubt that God loves me at all, let's look again at Calvary. Let's look again at Calvary. And say, There go I, but for the grace and love of God. That's the first thing, that no doubt this turns round. But secondly, it assures us again that this prayer will be answered. This prayer will be answered. First of all, Jesus' prayers are always answered anyway. Because he's God, he's not like us. God the Father does not say no to God the Son they are of one mind it is one God but there's added this element of his love for me it's not just the Son who wants me there the Father wants me in heaven as well because of this same love, this same love. The closing hymn that we'll be singing in a few minutes is A data to Mercy Alone. Of covenant mercy I sing no fear with thy righteousness on my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God's With me have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hides all my transgressions from view. But listen to the last two stanzas. The work which his goodness began, his his love began this work. The arm of his strength will complete. His promise is yea and amen and never was forfeited yet things future, no things that are now, not all things below or above, can make him his purpose for God or sever my soul, listen to this, from his love. From his love. Nothing. There is an infinite love within the Godhead, and in us being elected and being given to the Son, and the Son dying and all that, it is an act of love. The love wherewith the Father loved the Son, He has given it to us. Hence, the last stanza, My name from the palms of His hand, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains, a heart of love, impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. And thus Augustus top lady goes on to say, Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. And what is the earnest is what we're learning together In um, chapter 1 of Ephesians, it is that seal of the Holy Spirit that is given to each one of us. As sure as I have that seal, he says, more happy but not more secure are the glorified spirits in heaven. Those who've arrived are obviously happier than me because I'm still fighting here but they are not more secure. I will arrive in heaven because of the many things we learned this morning, but now we are adding because Christ prays for the elect to arrive home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word this evening. Thank you for the assurance that it brings to our hearts. Again, we are reminded that we are in the Holy of Holies. We are drinking in truths that the people of the world know absolutely nothing about. All they think is that we have a philosophy of life that we are trying to, to uphold often in fits of hypocrisy. But here we are drinking in Eternal truths of love. A love that is infinite. Here we are, listening to what would have been whispered in heaven, but left for us to know here on earth. That the Son loves us and wants us to be with him and to see who he is in all his glory and to know he's our elder brother he is our bridegroom he is the one we belong to. and to realize oh Lord that we will get there because you have loved us with the same love that you in the Godhead give to your son who are we O oh Lord Who are we? Who are we that we should be loved this way? Help us, Lord, never to forget this. In our worst trials of life, when, like Job, everything around us is falling apart, and even when we'll be in our last battle with the hand of death. Lord, help us to remember this love. Amen.